Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Wednesday, September 1st. September is here. I'm sure the song September by Earth, Wind, and Fire was playing on radio stations all across the country today. Well, it's September 1st, Wednesday, and we are live. Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We're also broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So we have a jam-packed show today. Some topics I was going to discuss we'll get to uh, on tomorrow's show. There's just so much to cover. Not a lot of time to do it in. So we got the breaking news story today regarding the Elijah McClain case out of Colorado, Aurora, Colorado. Uh, Three officers and two paramedics are charged in the death, the 2019 death of Elijah McClain. He was just walking home, minding his own business. And there was a call placed to uh, police about a man who uh, was wearing a, what they said was a ski mask, I think. And they thought he was suspicious. And then um, police came out and asked questions and put their hands on him and uh, put him in a carotid uh, choke, uh, carotid artery choke. Then paramedics came and uh, injected him with a powerful uh, anesthetic and uh, he he was taken to the hospital and died days later so this is a a crazy crazy story here out of uh, Colorado but the prosecutor today held a press conference and announced charges the uh, attorney general, Phil Weiser, who had been named a special prosecutor in the case, announced the 32 count indictment, announced the 32 count indictment almost two years to the day of Elijah McClain's death. So we'll talk about this uh, case today. It's, a, it's a, a very, very strange case. And also you have to... Um, when, when you look at the details of it, there's a lack of humanity that appears to be shown, a lack of humanity, it, it appears, was not shown to Elijah by the police also. So we'll talk about that. Then a few days ago, I saw a story uh, from Essence.com, a number of different outlets uh, had this story, Deadline.com as well. Involves Jada Pinkett Smith. Now it's not Jada in August, all that stuff. All that who's sleeping with who are I don't deal with that stuff. I let other people deal with that. Okay, I'm a historian. I don't, all that BS I don't I don't deal with. But this deals with Jada Pinkett Smith. She's going to executive produce a docuseries about historic African queens. Okay. Jada Pinkett Smith, we saw her uh Lena James on uh, a different world 
I watch a different world almost every day on um, TV one. Then also they have a different world on Amazon Prime. Okay, so uh, I use my Amazon Prime membership. Watch a different world there. One of the greatest TV shows in the history of the world. But Jada Pinkett Smith is going to executive produce a docuseries on historic African queens for Netflix. We're going to talk about this. This is uh, something very important. And, you know, we have to, I deal a lot with the images of African people and African-Americans in the media. So something like this coming from someone like Jada Pinkett Smith, who has millions of social media followers, is something extremely important. So we'll talk about that also. And then um, day 10 in the R. Kelly trial, a woman who is using the pseudonym Faith, the name Faith, testified for a second day today. Um, she testified on day nine also, testified that uh, R. Kelly infected her with herpes. This is the third woman to accuse R. Kelly of exposing her to herpes. And then also the minister who performed the marriage ceremony in 1994 for R. Kelly and Aaliyah testified today in court as well in Brooklyn. So we'll, we'll talk about this also. It's, I mean, each day it gets stranger and stranger. I've been following uh, the case each day and... Uh, this case gets crazy and crazier each day. All right, so we'll talk about that and we'll talk about some uh, events coming up where I'll be speaking uh, here in Detroit. Um, we'll let you know about that as well. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can sign up for the email newsletter there as well, Okay. If you'd like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Okay. And at, and at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We're here six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, et cetera. All right, now the call-in number is 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number uh, if you have a question or comment. 
I want to go to this first story here, uh, dealing with Elijah McClain. So I, I remember the case when it happened, and uh, I was re-watching the reporting on this today and and uh, watched some of the press conference also that the uh, attorney general, the state attorney general uh, held as well, state attorney general Phil Weiser. Um, also, I watched some of that as well and some of the legal analysis, et cetera. There was a good article um, about this case from uh, the New York Times. OK, New York Times had a good piece uh, on this story here. We're going to pull this up here from uh, New York Times. Three officers and two paramedics are charged in Eliza McClain's uh, death. OK. Three officers and two paramedics are charged in Elijah McClain's death. And usually you don't uh, have paramedics who are charged in the death, but uh, I think it is appropriate in this situation here. And let me pull this up. Okay. So... Uh, a Colorado grand jury indicted three officers and two paramedics uh, today in the 2019 uh, death of Elijah McClain, who was a young African-American man, who was African-American man who had been walking home when he was uh, stopped by uh, the police and put in a chokehold and injected with a powerful anesthetic the Attorney General of Colorado announced on Wednesday, okay, Attorney General uh, Phil Weiser. Now, and just a second here, okay. All right, so uh, Attorney General Phil Weiser, who had been named as a special prosecutor in the case, announced a, a 32-count indictment a 32 count indictment uh, almost two years to uh, the day after uh, Elijah McClain's death. Okay. Almost two years to the day after his death. Now, uh, state attorney general Phil Weiser said our, our goal is to seek justice for Elijah McClain for his family and friends and for our state. Our goal is to seek justice for Elijah McClain, for his family and friends, and for our state. He said this at a news conference announcing the charges, and this was the culmination of months of investigation, protests, and calls for justice for Elijah McClain's family and friends uh, that were amplified by the nationwide protests after George Floyd's murder, okay, in 2020, May 25th, 2020, we know George Floyd was murdered by Officer Derek Chauvin. Now, we're here today because Elijah McClain is not here, and he should be here, said um, State's Attorney General Phil Weiser, okay, with uh, State of Colorado. Uh, we're going to go to clip one. Uh, Shakita from the press conference. Okay, we're going to go to clip one in just a second here. Now, the five defendants included 
in Elijah McClain's death in Aurora, Colorado, just east of Denver, will each face one charge of manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide, as well as a variety of assault charges. Okay, let's go to this uh, clip here from the press conference today. Thoughtful deliberation, grand jury returned a 32 count indictment against Aurora police officers Randy Rodima and Nathan Woodyard, former Aurora police officer Jason Rosenblatt, and Aurora Fire Rescue Paramedics Jeremy Cooper and Peter Chacunia for their alleged conduct on the night of August 24, 2019 resulted in the death of Mr. McClain. Each of the five defendants faced one count of manslaughter and one count of criminally negligent homicide. Officers Rodima and Rosenblatt also faced, each of them, a count of second-degree assault with intent to cause bodily injury and cause serious bodily injury to Mr. McClain. Both also face one count of a crime of violence related to the second degree of assault bodily injury charge. In addition to the manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide charges, paramedics Cooper and Chikuniak also face one count second degree assault with intent to cause bodily injury and cause bodily injury, one count second degree assault for recklessly causing serious bodily injury by means of a deadly weapon, ketamine. One count second-degree assault for a purpose other than lawful medical or therapeutic treatment, intentionally causing stupor, unconsciousness, or other physical or mental impairment or injury to Mr. McClain by administering a drug, ketamine. Okay, pause it right there. Uh, pause it right there, Shakita. We're coming up on a break. Pause it, pause it right there. We're coming up on a break. Just back it up about 30 seconds. We'll come back to that clip on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9 a.m. Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black. All positive. All the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. 
is the mayor. So great business with the power structure. It was laws and policies. After breaking one minute. That put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take it out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do a piece of it that they know. We have it all for 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. Nine ten, the Superstation, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show, right here on nine ten a on the Superstation Future Radio. I'm your host, brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Wednesday, September first, twenty twenty one. Next thing you know, we'll be celebrating Kwanzaa, and uh, <laughs> the year will be over with. <laughs> We'll be saying Habaragani. <laughs> we'll be celebrating Kwanzaa and, and Christmas for those who celebrate Christmas. You know, and I don't I don't get mad at people who celebrate Christmas. I don't argue with people. I don't feel the need to give them a three hour lecture on the history of Christmas, even though <laughs> I do a three hour lecture on the origins of Christmas. OK, <laughs> you know, I just tell people you should study the history of whatever celebrations that you participate in. All right. Uh, and then, cause a lot of times, once you understand the origins of what it is you, you are participating in, it can cause you to alter how you participate in it. If you choose to do so. Okay. That's the difference between having wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge tells you what to say. Wisdom tells you when to say it, who to say it to, and when to be quiet and when to walk away. That's, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. All right. <laughs> okay. Now, um, speaking of knowledge. Uh, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF has the uh, greatest uh, advertising package in the history of the world. Uh, the Godfather package. OK, with the Godfather package, you can get 200 spots for five hundred dollars with a must air within 30 day policy. A must air within 30 day policy. That is only two dollars and fifty cents per spot. Only two dollars and fifty cents per spot. And they will even produce the spots for free. That's right. For free. Call Renisha Williams right now. At 313-434-8291, 313-434-8291. Let her know you heard about this from Michael M. Hotel. All right. Okay, call in numbers 313-778-7600. If you have a question or comment. So right before the break, we were talking about the case out of Aurora, Colorado, of Elijah McClain. Okay, now he was killed uh, in 2019. And the police officers, uh, three uh, police officers and two paramedics uh, are being indicted for his murder. There was a press conference held today by the state attorney general, uh, Phil Weiser, who is who has been named as special uh, as a special prosecutor in the case. He was named as a special prosecutor by the um, uh, governor. The Democratic, uh, uh, the governor of Colorado, who's a Democrat. I want to go back to this clip here. This is from the press conference today. Uh, this is uh, Attorney General Phil Weiser, State Attorney General Phil Weiser speaking. Let's go back to this clip, Shakita. Liberation. The grand jury returned 32 count indictments against Aurora police officers. Randy Rodima and Nathan Woodyard, former Aurora police officer Jason Rosenblatt, and Aurora Fire Rescue Paramedics Jeremy Cooper and Peter Chikunian. The 
their alleged conduct on the night of August 24, 2019, that resulted in the death of Mr. McClendon. Each of the five defendants faced one count of manslaughter and one count of criminally negligent homicide. Officers Rodima and Rosenblatt also faced each of them a count of second-degree assault intent to cause bodily injury and cause serious bodily injury to Mr. McLean. Both also face one count of a crime of violence related to the second degree assault bodily injury charge. In addition to the manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide charges, paramedics Cooper and Chikuniak also face one count second-degree assault with intent to cause bodily injury and cause bodily injury, one count second-degree assault for recklessly causing serious bodily injury by means of a deadly weapon, one count second-degree assault for a purpose other than lawful medical or therapeutic treatment, intentionally causing stupor, unconsciousness, or other physical or mental impairment or injury to Mr. McLean by administering a drug academy without consent. Cooper and Chikuniak also faced two counts of crimes of violence for each of the assault charges. At this moment, my department is filing the indictment in Adams County District Court. The indictment will be unsealed. It is important to remind everyone that a grand jury indictment is a formal accusation based on determination of probable cause that an individual committed a crime under Colorado law. All defendants are presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, so that was uh, from the press conference today. That's an excerpt of the press conference today. That was uh, State, uh, Colorado State Attorney General Phil Weiser uh, explaining uh, the charges, okay? The grand jury returned a 32-count indictment for uh, three officers and uh, two paramedics also, okay? As I said at the top of the show, it's very unusual for paramedics to uh, be charged here, uh, very unusual for paramedics to be charged, but in uh, this situation, uh, I think it is definitely warranted. All right, now I, I wanna go back to the article here from uh, the New York Times, okay? And then we're gonna go to this clip from MSNBC um, dealing with the announcement of the charges. Okay, so if we look at this uh, piece here from If you look at this piece here from uh, New York Times, three officers and two paramedics are charged in Elijah McClain's death. So let me scroll down here just a second here. Okay. Uh, let's see where. Okay. So the five defendants involved in McClain's death in Aurora, just east of Denver, will face one uh, each. Uh, each one will face one charge of manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide, as well as a variety of assault charges. 
Now, the three uh, Aurora police officers charged in Elijah McClain's death are Randy Rodima, Nathan uh, Woodyard, and uh, Jason Rosenblatt. Uh, Jason Rosenblatt was fired in 2020. The paramedics are Jeremy Cooper and Peter uh, uh, Sikuniak of the Aurora Fire Department. The city indicated that the officers and medics uh, still with the department would be suspended without pay. All right. Now, while it is uncommon for police officers to face uh, criminal charges for on-duty deaths, it is rarer still for firefighters or paramedics to be charged. Now, uh, the indictment was unsealed on Wednesday, September 1st. It accuses the paramedics of failing to follow medical protocols before and after they injected Elijah McClain with ketamine, okay, with ketamine, okay, which is a powerful um, uh, sedative. Now, uh, Elijah McClain was 23 years old, and he was already handcuffed when the medics arrived at the scene, and the indictment says that they did not talk to Elijah McClain, uh, uh, they did not check his vital signs or properly monitor him after giving him a powerful drug. Now, an autopsy report by the Adams County Coroner said that the cause of death was quote unquote undetermined and that it could have been a result of natural causes, a homicide related to the carotid uh, artery hold on an accident because they put him in a chokehold. The police put him in a chokehold also. Now, um, we're going to go to clip two here in just a second, Shakita. So when we look at what actually happened, so this took place on August 24, 2019, uh, about 10.30 p.m. And let me screw down to this here. So Elijah McClain had been walking home from a convenience store carrying a bag uh, with cans of iced tea at 10.30 p.m. on August 24th, 2019, okay? He was stopped by three Aurora, uh, Colorado police officers. They were responding to a 911 call about a suspicious person. They were responding to a 911 call about a suspicious person. Elijah McClain, who had been wearing a face mask and listening to music, told the officers he was simply walking home and asked the police to let him to uh, to, uh, to let go of him, according to an independent review of the incident. The officers grabbed uh, Elijah McClain's arms, pushed him against a wall. And there's body cam footage of this, also by the way. Pushed him against a wall and pulled him to the ground. They used what is called a uh, carotid hold to subdue him. It's a type of choke hold that cut, cuts off the flow of blood to the brain a potentially dangerous restraint to the neck that restricts uh, uh, the flow of blood to the brain. Elijah McClain said, I am introvert and I'm different. He told police, according to audio recordings from the stop, he said, I'm just different. That's all. That's all I was doing. I'm so sorry. Now, uh, Elijah was brought to a hospital 
when he was brought to a hospital, he was unconscious and he never recovered. He was taken off life support and died on August 30th, 2019. Okay. So the incident happened August 24th, 2019. He was taken off life support and died August 30th, 2019. Now lawyers for the officers and paramedics could not be immediately reached for comment. Uh, shortly after the indictments were announced, the Aurora Police Association put out a weak-ass statement defending these officers and saying there was no evidence the officers called Elijah McClain's death, even though Elijah was fine before these officers stopped him. They, 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 he, was, he was alive. What we do know is he was alive before they stopped him. We do know that. Quote, uh, this weak ass argument from the Aurora Police Association said our officers did nothing wrong. The group said, adding, quote, the hysterical overreaction to this case has severely damaged the police department. Uh, what role did, did your police officers play in severely damaging the police department? That's what I would ask. Our officers did nothing wrong. I, it, it, then and that, that reminds me because we're gonna go to r kelly uh in a few minutes because r kelly said i don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grind they're saying our officers didn't do nothing wrong okay now chief um the chief of police vanessa wilson of the royal police department who was appointed a year after elijah mcclain's death said the department would cooperate with the legal process the state attorney general's office is also conducting a broader investigation into practices at the rural police department. Uh, Chief Vanessa Wilson said this tragedy will forever be imprinted on our community. You think? Uh, I, I, I think it will too. All right. Now I want to go to uh, clip number two. This is uh, Chris Jansen from MSNBC. Uh, she's talking about the, uh, announcement from the uh, prosecutor uh, today, Prosecutor Weiser. And uh, she's speaking with uh, Gabe Gutierrez of MSNBC, uh, as well as uh, Reverend Al Sharp. Okay. Uh, let's go to clip two, uh, Shakita. Colorado, where the state attorney general announced that a grand jury has charged three officers and two paramedics in the 2019 death of Elijah McClain. The 23-year-old black man was in a neck restraint and injected with a sedative in a Denver suburb, stopped as he was walking home from the store, according to a city investigation. All five are charged with manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. There are 32 charges in all. Some of McClain's last words, I'm just different, have become a rallying cry at protests in his name. Joining me now, NBC News correspondent Gabe Gutierrez and Reverend Al Sharpton, host of Politics Nation and president of the National Action Network. Gabe, uh, talk to me a little bit about these charges. And is it unusual that not just the officers, but also the paramedics are charged in this case? Chris, it's uh, very unusual. And you'll remember that this case actually 
you know, Elijah McClain died in uh, 2019, in late 2019, but it wasn't until the death, uh, the murder of George Floyd uh, the following year uh, that this case really began to get national attention as more and more people took to the streets and more and more people protested. And no charges were filed initially, but that increased pressure uh, did come essentially reopened the investigation. And so now, uh, you know, this uh, this is a, a, a result uh, that had been, uh, that is welcomed by Elijah McLean's family. It's such a heartbreaking case, uh, Chris. You know, this young man, 23 years old, while walking back from a convenience store, was stopped uh, by police. And his family had said that he really had no reason uh, to be stopped. And, and on top of that, he was wrestled to the ground. And yes, these paramedics are now being charged uh, because police say that they uh, injected uh, Elijah McLean with that powerful sedative academy uh, that police uh, say uh, contributed to his death. Now, Chris, I want to also mention that we have just heard a response from the police union, which just released a statement and still, despite this 32-count indictment, has called the response to this case, quote, a hysterical overreaction. And the Aurora Police Union says our officers did nothing wrong, the union maintained. And sadly, Mr. McLean died due to a combination of exertion due to his decision to violently resist arrest and a pre-existing heart condition. Of course, Elijah McLean's family and many activists involved with this case say that that's uh, completely outrageous. They say that he should not have been stopped in the first place. This is certainly a very emotional case. And again, now the breaking developments that uh, five officers and uh, paramedics now charged with uh, various charges. Chris? So, Rev, uh, I want to get your take on the significance of these charges, but also that statement by the police association. Well, I think the significance is that had it not been for the family and the activists there in Aurora, uh, there would not have probably been a case because the governor gave this to a uh, special prosecutor, the attorney general did the case, and it was felt as it is in many cases that I've been involved in with Nash Action Network, that if you leave it to the local prosecutors, who have this kind of uh, bonding relationship with local police, they will not do a real investigation. And when we see this, not only indict the police officers, but the paramedics, uh, I think it's because of how the case was handled, because of the diligence and pressure of local activists that stayed on it. Yes, it was given some oxygen by the George Floyd movement that all of us were involved in, but they stayed on it locally. And I think that this is, is, a, is a thing that shows that the pressure does matter. We must have a society where you don't need pressure to get equal justice. To think a young man goes to a convenience store to get ice tea for his brother, and he gets killed unarmed, given a sedative that he should have never been given by paramedics, and you have to do all this to just get an indictment, and then now the police union has the contempt for the loss of human life, blaming him on uh, being uh, killed by police, saying, I can't breathe, I'm just different. It, it shows what goes on in this country too often, and that's why we need national federal law to stop this. You know, Rev, I was taken by the fact that a, a lawyer for Mr. McLean's father said that he, Mr. Mosley, wept. He wept when he heard the news about the indictments today. 
what does justice even look like here? He was never accused of doing anything wrong when he, when he was stopped. He wasn't doing anything wrong. No, justice would have been him not being, you can't bring his life back. But what it does uh, give is a measure of to the family that his death will be something that could be used to prevent others being treated uh, uh, by law enforcement like this that break the law. We should expect law enforcement to protect the Elijah McClain, not to kill them. Here's a young man was suspected of what? Of walking home? Yes, he had on uh, a covering because it is cold in Colorado. And because he was walking home and the color of his skin, he could be killed and backed up by paramedics that would over-medicate him. This is the fear that too many lives in our community, too many families have. So when Elijah McClain's father wept, he wept with the kind of, of, of demonstration that too many of our families have is it reminds him of the pain of losing his son and it gives him the relief that at least this time he made it justice. Now you still have to have a trial and still have to face a jury. We just went through with George Floyd and other cases. It wasn't until the very end that we even knew then that policemen would be convicted. So this is far from over, but at least we have a beginning. Again, that breaking news, five people charged in his death. Thank you so much, Rev. Thank you, Gabe Gutierrez. We appreciate it. Okay. That, 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 that is from uh, MSNBC Today. That's Chris Jansen sitting in for uh, Eamon Mohadeen. Uh, and Chris Jansen was speaking with Gabe Gutierrez and Reverend Al Sharpton. And people listen to 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, WFDF, listen to Reverend Al Sharpton Monday through Friday. The 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on that 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Okay, so uh, hopefully, uh, the three uh, officers, as well as the two paramedics, will be found guilty. Uh, hopefully, they'll go to prison. This is just a this is just a ridiculous um, ridiculous case. Now, if we go back quickly here to the uh, piece here from uh, the New York Times. We're going to go to clip three in just a second, uh, Shakita. We'll go to clip three in a few minutes dealing with day 10 in the R. Kelly trial. Um, an independent review of Elijah McClain's death released in February 2021 issued a scathing catalog of errors committed by the officers and paramedics during the encounter and in the investigation that followed, prosecutors in Adams County, Colorado, declined to file criminal charges after the three officers involved in uh, uh, Elijah McClain's death. Okay. Governor Jared Polis, who is a Democrat, Governor Jared Polis appointed the uh, Colorado State Attorney General. Okay, uh, Richard, uh, State Attorney General Phil Weiser, as a special prosecutor in June 2020 to investigate McLean's death. So the local prosecutor, okay, the local prosecutor uh, declined to file criminal charges in the death of uh, Elijah McLean. The governor 
in many of these states, based upon the state constitution, the governor has the authority to appoint a special prosecutor. That's what happened in this case. The governor appointed the state attorney general as a special prosecutor in this case here. And this is why you have the indictment after the local prosecutor failed to file criminal charges. Governor Jared Polis appointed uh, State Attorney General Phil Weiser as a special prosecutor in June 2020 to investigate Liza McClain's death. The grand jury, which had been investigating the case since December, December 2020, issued the indictments and concluded its work last week, Thursday, uh, Phil Weiser said, uh, State Attorney General Phil Weiser said. All right. Uh, an attorney uh, for Elijah's mother, uh, uh, Ms. McLean, held the charges and said they reflected her tireless work to fight for justice for her son. Okay, read this full uh, article here. This is from the New York Times. Three officers and two paramedics are charged in Elijah McLean's death. Three officers and two paramedics are charged in Elijah McLean's death. So hopefully they'll go to prison Maybe they can all be cellmates. Um, you know, maybe maybe they can all be cellmates. All right, I'm gonna go to this next story here. Uh, I, I saw this a few days ago, and I, I saw different uh, outlets carried. I think the first story I saw was from Essence.com. Essence.com. I read Essence also. I know Essence is for African American women, but <laughs> I guess you have to read. What they read and know what they need, I guess the saying goes. Okay, it's not helping me any, but anyway, uh, but I still, I still like essence, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, we first saw as Lena James on A Different World, and we saw her in Jason's lyric, um, and set it off, and now she's on the uh, the red uh, the red talk table on uh, Facebook. Jada Pinkett Smith is going to executive produce a docuseries on historic African queens, historic African queens. Now, this is going to be for Netflix. OK. And, you know, I think I think this is going to be something really positive. Now, I'm not sure who the historians are. They're going to consult. I can make some recommendations for her. Uh, I'm not sure who the historians are. They're going to consult. Um, I hope they get some good ones. And. The two uh, African queens they're going to deal with first in each, uh, uh, they're going to deal with a different queen in each series, okay? The uh, queens they're going to deal with first are Cleopatra the Seventh, okay? Cleopatra the Seventh and uh, Queen Nzinga. Now, Netflix announced uh, that it has given an order for a docuseries about uh, queens in African history, queens in African history, from Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's Westbrook Studios, Westbrook Studios, along with Newtopia. Now, Jada Pinkett Smith is slated to executive produce the series. Now, the series is co-written by uh, Nini Ouija and uh, Perez Owino, uh, the the currently untitled Netflix series will focus on one African queen each session, one African queen each session, beginning with Cleopatra the seventh in season number one. Uh, 
the second season will highlight in Jenga. Now, I think they mean Queen and Zynga. Um, Queen and Zynga of what's present day Angola. And both will contain interviews from field experts and premium content with scripted reenactments. Pre, uh, premium content with scripted reenactments. Uh, there was a there was a tweet from Netflix. Uh, Netflix said uh, Jada Pinkett Smith will executive produce a doc a doc series about history's most iconic African queens. Okay, about history's most iconic African queens. And let me see something here. Hold on. Where is this? Just a second. Let me. Okay. Here we go. All right. Jada Pinkett Smith will executive produce a doc series about history's most iconic African queens. Most iconic African queens. Season one will uh, cover Cleopatra. That's Cleopatra the seventh. Uh, one of history's most powerful yet misunderstood women. Season two will cover in Jenga, but it's actually Queen in Zynga. Uh, the fearless 17th century warrior queen of Matamba and Ndongo, okay, in present day um, Angola. Now, Cleopatra's season will cover the life of the Egyptian queen whose beauty and romantic endeavor came to overshadow her uncredited intellectual prowess, okay, her uncredited intellectual prowess. And I was looking for some information on uh, uh, Queen and Zinga also. I think I think face to face Africa dot com uh, has an article uh, on Queen and Zinga that you can check out as well. Uh, let me see something here. OK, let's pull this up. I think face to face Africa dot com uh, has an article you can pull up. Uh, I was looking at some information today from thought dot com as well. Um, uh, dealing with dealing with this, so it's going to be interesting. Now, there's a there's a commercial right now, and I think the commercial is for um, I think the commercial is for uh, I can't remember. I think it's for Amazon Prime or something like that. And they show they have a depiction of of Cleopatra. But she doesn't look of African descent at all. Okay. So it's going to be, hopefully, and, and since it's coming from them, I, I think it's uh, going to be on point. Hopefully, they don't show uh, the, even though this is in the period, it's um, the 33rd dynasty, um, even though it's after the Greek conquest of. Um, Egypt after Alexander the Greek um, conquers Egypt in 332 BC. Um, uh, hopefully, they will show the ancient Egyptians as black Africans. Okay, and yes, there was intermixing taking place because the Greeks had conquered and the Greeks are intermixing into the population. But uh, this is before the Arab conquest, so don't show them looking like Arabs. This is before. <laughs> This is before 7th century AD. This is before the Arabs conquer Egypt. So don't show them looking like Arabs. All right. Now, if we go back to this piece here from uh, 
essence. Uh, Cleopatra's, Cleopatra's season will cover the life of the Egyptian queen whose, whose beauty and romantic endeavor came to overshadow her uncredited intellectual prowess. Cleopatra's heritage has been the subject of much academic debate, which has often been historically ignored by Hollywood. The series will reevaluate those parts of her life, possibly changing the narrative, possibly changing uh, the narrative. Now, the the last active ruler of the uh, uh, Ptolemaic uh, kingdom of Egypt, uh, Cleopatra, has been portrayed by white American, by, by white American and European, as well as Middle Eastern actresses. We remember, we remember. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor portraying Cleopatra. Okay, they had this white woman portraying Cleopatra. Uh, she was believed to have had Greek and possibly Persian ancestry, but they but there have been theories that have stated otherwise. Now, the second season features Queen Nzinga, the fearless 17th century warrior queen of the Matamba and Ndongo, uh, which is now present day Angola. The nation's first female ruler, she earned a reputation for her balance of political, diplomatic, and military-minded leadership. For many present-day followers, she has been known, Queen Nzinga has been known for resistance and perseverance. Uh, Jada, Pinkett Smith, Jada, Jada Pinkett Smith told Deadline.com, quote, as the mother of a young black woman, it is immensely important to me that she learns the lessons of the African queens who paved the way for our success and the success of generations of black women. Okay. This is why I'm wearing my uh, shirt honoring African women uh, today because we're dealing with this story. Uh, check out this piece here from essence.com. She went on to say, I'm very passionate and excited about bringing the stories and lessons of these powerful women to light in order to showcase their strength, leadership, and undeniable influence on history. Okay, now those watching on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I M H O T E P. Uh, keep watching. We're out of time here on 9 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Uh, we're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. Uh, be sure to register for the 10 week online course I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. That's at our website, com. Remember, right now, it's correct for own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, stand by, stand by. Okay. Uh, okay, so visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have the information there for uh, online course that I teach on Saturdays. We have a new session starting up uh, Saturday, uh, September 4th, class number one. This is a 10-week online course. We deal with history from 1865 to 1968. And uh, this class picks up where the other class that I teach, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, this class picks up where that class leaves off. All right, so the class is regularly $130. It's on sale, uh, $80. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch them over and over again. You still have access to the class even after the 10-week class is over. So next year, you can go back and watch the whole class uh, all over again. 
Also, uh, we have a new session of Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, starting up as well uh, this, uh, this uh, Sunday, class number one. We do thousands of years of history, and we deal with what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We deal with ancient Africa, ancient Kemet, uh, Nile Valley region of Africa. We deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. And we deal with uh, history leading up to the transatlantic slave trade also. Okay, uh, so we just posted a link here. You can register for uh, those classes. Now, let's see. Let's go back to this uh, article here from... Uh, essence.com then we're going to uh, wrap up with day 10 in the R. Kelly trial uh, while while still unclear when the docuseries will air Jada Pinkett Smith Miguel Melendez Terrence Carter not to be confused with Clarence Carter okay <laughs> I'll be stroking Clarence Carter this is Terrence Carter uh, Sahara Bushu and uh, David Borstein well, executive produced the project from Westbrook Studios along with uh, Jane Root and Ben Gould uh, for Natopia. All right. So check out this piece here from uh, Essence.com. Uh, Jada Pickett Smith to executive produced docuseries on historic African queens, historic African queens. Now, there was a uh, there was some information I was looking at today from. Uh, thought.com thought.com you can take a look at this um and this is dealing with the uh, ptolemies uh the, the ptolemaic uh, dynasty in egypt um the ptolemies dynasty uh dynastic egypt from alexander to cleopatra the last pharaohs of egypt were greeks okay but this is after they were conquered by alexander the greek People call him Alexander the Great. We call him Alexander the Greek because there was nothing great about him. Um, the Ptolemies were the rulers of the final dynasty of 3,000 years of ancient Egypt and the progenitor of the Macedonian uh, Greek uh, by birth. The Ptolemies uh, broke millennia of tradition when they based the capital of their Egyptian empire, not in Thebes or Luxor, but in Alexandria, a newly constructed port in, uh, on the Mediterranean Sea, okay? In the uh, Ptolemaic dynasty, was founded by Alexander the Greek in uh, 332 uh, BC, all right? So they have more information here you can uh, check out um, dealing with uh, the Ptolemaic dynasty. All right, and we know that uh, Ptolemy the first Soter Lagi, um, who was a, um, uh, he was in the army of Alexander the Greek. Uh, but Ptolemy the first Soter Lagi uh, became a, uh, he wanted to be consecrated as a, an Egyptian pharaoh. And he, uh, this is where you get, if you read the historical origin of Christianity, by uh, Dr. Walter Williams. Uh, Dr. Walter Williams deals with Ptolemy the First Soter Lagi, uh, who uh, created the image, the deity of uh, Serapis Christos, Serapis Christos, and this gets into some deep history dealing with some of the um, 
uh, origins of Christianity and, and things like that. So Rappus Christos, which means Christ the Savior. So Rappus Christos. Okay, read the historical origin of uh, Christianity by Dr. Walter Williams. All right, now, uh, also there was, I think there was an article from, uh, I think there was one from, uh, one about Queen and Zynga. Well, there's one from blackpass.org. Uh, I think there's also one from face2faceafrica.com. Uh, let me see. Yeah. One from face2faceafrica.com as well uh, from 2018 that you can check out. Uh, Queen and Zynga of Angola fought and held off Portuguese uh, for 30 years. Okay. Uh, Queen and Zynga is also talked about in the book from uh, Dr. Chancellor Williams, uh, The Destruction of Black Civilization. But this is a good article here from uh, face2faceafrica.com. How Queen Nzinga of Angola fought and held off Portuguese control for over 30 years. Uh, here is a uh, depiction of Queen Nzinga, all right. Uh, the Portuguese were the earliest European colonists to settle in Africa, owing largely to the fascination of the ever adventurous Portuguese Prince Henry the Navigator. And we know the Portuguese were the first ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade right about 1441. Uh, from the island of Azores down to the region of Guinea, it didn't take long for the Portuguese to establish a colony in Angola precisely in 1570. However, the Portuguese's uh, overall control of, of Angola was not as anticipated. It was not because they didn't have superior technology and weaponry, which they had always used to much success. It was more of the bravery. It was, mu it was much more of the bravery, military strategy, and diplomatic acumen exemplified by one of the greatest warrior queens in African history, Queen Nzinga of Ndongo and uh, Matamba kingdoms of Angola. Now, Queen Nzinga was born in 1583 AD, just about the time the transatlantic slave trade was booming and the Portuguese who dominate the transatlantic slave trade for uh, about the first 200 years. The Portuguese were uh, gradually establishing control over Angola. Most of the local chiefs assisted the Portuguese either in slave, in slave raiding or taking possession of lands and in return receiving items such as mirrors, guns, even wines and other material items. Now also the other part of this is, um, and this, now this is in Angola, but the other part of this is, is that, uh, Oftentimes, you have the Europeans who are demanding a certain number of captives be presented to them on a certain day or something like that. And if the chief didn't present the captives or something, the chief and his family or people from their village could be taken. So they're, they're uh, capturing people from rival ethnic groups or what are called tribes or villages or things like that. And uh, turn the uh, uh, oftentimes this is what's taking place. 
So most of the local chiefs and now a good um, a good book dealing with that it deals largely with West Africa is by Sylvian Dioff Sil Sylvia Sylvia Dioff Sylvia Dioff and it's called um, Fighting the Slave Trade Fighting the Slave Trade by Sylvia Dioff because it's a it's a very very complex uh, history and it deals with uh different strategies in fighting the slave trade uh it's at amazon or you can check your local african-american books bookstore fighting the slave trade by sylvia Dioff. uh i've read some interviews she's done and i read about her book i reached out to her back when Kanye West made some idiotic statements about slavery sounded like a choice. I reached out to her because I wanted to interview her on my show, but she was out of the country at the time. She emailed me back. So I need to get in touch with her. Uh, I've read like some articles she's uh, been interviewed in, etc. But this is the book here, Fighting the Slave Trade. And let me see something here. Let me back up. Um, this is a synopsis here. Now, while most studies, let me see, let me make sure you look at this here. All right, let's try to increase the size of this. up as much as possible okay now while most uh, studies of the uh, slave trade or transatlantic slave trade focus on the volume of captives and on their ethnic origins the question of how the Africans organized their familial and communal lives to resist and assail it has not received adequate attention but our picture of the slave trade is incomplete without an examination of the ways in which men and women responded to the threat and reality of enslavement and deportation fighting the slave trade is the first book to explore in a systematic manner the strategies Africans use to protect and defend themselves and their communities from the onslaught of the Atlantic slave trade and how they assaulted the Atlantic slave trade or transatlantic slave trade. It challenges the wide held, it challenges the wide held myths of African passivity and general complicity in the transatlantic slave trade and shows that resistance to enslavement and to involvement in the slave trade was much more pervasive than has been acknowledged by the orthodox interpretation of historical literature. Focused on West Africa, the essays collected here examine in detail the defensive, protective, and offensive strategies of individuals, families, communities and states in chapters discussing the manipulation of the environment 
resettlement, the redemption of captives, the transformation of social relations, political centralization, uh, marinage, violent assaults on ships and intrapots, shipboard revolts and control participation in the slave trade and control participation in the slave trade as a way to procure the means to attack the slave trade. Because in some cases they are trading captives for rifles and bullets to then attack the slave trade. Now fighting the, fighting the slave trade presents a much more complete picture of the West African slave trade than has been previously available, okay? Uh, so check this out. This is Fighting the Slave Trade by Sylvia Dioff. She is a historian of the uh, African diaspora. Sylvia, uh, uh, Sylvian, Sylvian Dioff, Sylvian Dioff. She's written a number of books. Um, that's a bad sister. All right, so check that out. Now, if we go back here, can we go back to uh, and check check with your local African American bookstore owner as well. I'm not saying order from Amazon, but check with your local African American bookstore owner. But uh, oftentimes when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade, it's it's a very very nuanced history, especially in the continent of Africa. It's a very very nuanced history. Okay. So back to this article quickly here about Queen and Zynga. Um, most of the local chiefs assisted the Portuguese either in slave raiding or taking possession of lands and in return receiving items such as mirrors, guns, even wines and other material items. Uh, here's another full color depiction of Queen and Zynga. Now, it should be noted that England and France had joined uh, England and France had joined a profitable colony uh, business and Portugal wanted to dominate Angola as soon as possible. Uh, let me see. Okay. Okay. Read the rest of this here. Read the rest of this article here from face2faceafrica.com about Queen and Zynga uh, of Angola who fought and held off Portuguese control for over 30 years. All right, that's at face2faceafrica.com. Okay, now, uh, let's see here. Okay, I'll be speaking at a uh, event here in Detroit on September 18th. September 18th, the second annual uh second annual Detroit the second annual Detroit African Cultural Festival the second annual Detroit uh, second annual Detroit African Cultural Festival this is taking place Friday September 17th 2021 uh, Friday is going to be 12 noon to 6 p.m. and Saturday is uh, Saturday September 18th is going to be 12 noon to 8 p.m. is going to be at the um, uh Maharis Gentry Park Maharis Gentry Park 
um, that's in Highland Park, Michigan, uh, or Detroit, 12550 Avondale Street, 12550 Avondale Street. Um, visit them on Facebook. And let me flip over to this here. So they're going to have African drumming, African dance, uh, vendors. Uh, they have a kids corner, wellness corner, live musical performances as well. Okay, the 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 model here in the photo that's Isoke E. Okay, that's one of the daughters of Kalindi E. Hati Kalindi E, who's a friend of mine. Um, Hati Kalindi E. We've had him here on the show a number of times, and also uh, her mother was Jendai E. They're both masters of African martial arts. Um, let me see something here. The we'll give you the website. So they have a Facebook event invite and the uh, Facebook event group, uh, Detroit African Cultural Festival is the um, Facebook, uh, that's the Facebook group, uh, Detroit African Cultural Festival. Let's flip over to this so you can see that. You can get more information there. This is free. It's a free event. They have uh, contact information for the um contact them to become a vendor okay so they have the information right here uh on their facebook page detroit african cultural uh detroit acf detroit acf on facebook so check that out detroit acf on facebook and we'll have more information for you um also in the coming days okay i'll be speaking there and then also i'll be speaking at the um uh Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, September 26, for the screening of the documentary, documentary Half P, uh, which features Tony Browder and Professor uh, uh, Jane Small and Dr. Lennon Jeffries and uh, Dr. Julia Malvo. Uh, this is taking place uh, Sunday, September 26, 3 p.m., Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Okay. Uh, visit hapifilm.com uh, for more information, hapifilm.com. We'll do a screening of the documentary. It deals with African history and economic empowerment. And then also there'll be a panel discussion. I'll be the moderator of the panel discussion. Visit hapifilm.com for more information and the purchase tickets. That's uh, Sunday, September 26, 2021, 3 p.m. at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Okay, uh, let's go to this last story here. And this deals with uh, the R. Kelly trial. This deals with day 10 um, in the R. Kelly trial. This is another crazy day. Uh, you know, I was reading over uh, testimony. Um, so today, another woman says R. Kelly knowingly infected her with herpes. Uh, a woman today testified uh, who she, she was on the witness stand yesterday, uh, day nine, and she continued her testimony today. Uh, she goes by the pseudonym uh, Faith, and she testified that R. Kelly knowingly infected her with herpes, but then also the minister who performed the marriage ceremony for 
uh, R. Kelly and Aaliyah, uh, the minister in 1994, the minister testified today as well. All right. So this was this was, uh, you know, this was a crazy day. Now. If we go, let's see, let's go here. Uh, they talked about this also on the Black News Channel. We're going to go to that clip here in just a minute. So a third woman accused R. Kelly of exposing her to herpes. And the minister who married uh, R. Kelly to singer Aaliyah when she was only 15 years old, he spoke for the first time on Wednesday, September 1st, the 10th day of R. Kelly's racketeering trial in Brooklyn. Now, the woman is testifying using uh, only her first name, Faith. Oh, so, I'm sorry, only her first name, Faith, not a pseudonym, her first name, Faith. Other people are using uh, pseudonyms. Her first name, Faith, and she accuses R. Kelly of exposing her to herpes. Faith, whose testimony began on Wednesday, said the singer did not inform her that he had the incurable disease herpes before they began having sex and that he often declined to use a condom. Um, she, she testified, I said, are you going to use a condom? And she recalled, she recalled asking R. Kelly during their first sex, sexual encounter. She said, quote, he said, we don't need a condom, end quote. Now, five, five accusers who have testified so far said that they were underage when uh, their sexual encounters with R. Kelly began, but Faith told jurors that she was 19 years old when she first met the entertainer at a concert in Texas in 2017, and they began a sexual relationship of about 11 months after that, okay? About 11 months after that, a sexual relationship of, uh, about 11 months after that. Uh, we're going to go to this clip here just a second from uh, Black News. Let's see here. Uh, we're going to go to the one from. Yeah, we'll go to this one here from the uh, Black News Channel. Uh, Candace Kelly, who uh, were sometimes panelists on, co-panelists on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Candace Kelly was on the Black News Channel today providing uh, legal analysis, okay, uh, about the case. We're going to go to that here in just a second. Let me pull that up. All right, now, let's continue here. Uh, okay, let's see, let me pull that clip up. All right. Yeah, we'll get that queued up. Okay, now, uh, R. Uh, R. Kelly, whose real name is Robert Sylvester Kelly, denied the accusations and he did not guilty to the charges against him, which include a single count of racketeering and eight counts of violating an interstate anti-sex law known as the Mann Act. Federal prosecutors have accused R. Kelly, 54 years old, of running a decades-long criminal plot uh, that used his fame and a network of associates and employees to prey on women and girls for sex. All right. Now, I want to go to this clip here and uh, we'll talk about the um, minister who performed the ceremony 
uh, to marry R. Kelly to Aaliyah in 1994. Let's go to this clip. It is uh, the beginning of day 10 now. Testimony in R. Kelly's sex trafficking trial. The prosecution is working overtime, showing R. Kelly as the leader of a criminal enterprise um, whose former business associates and entourage helped enable his illegal behavior for years. Joining us now to talk about it, our justice correspondent, Candace Kelly. Good morning to you, Candace. Um, good morning. It is now. Yeah. Um, good morning to you. We've we got to talk a little bit more about the witness named Faith. She said she wasn't even a fan of R. Kelly's. They happened to meet. She was 19. She testified. He raped her. Um, what else stood out about her testimony as if that wasn't explosive enough? Well, you know, Sharon, I think one of the things that is most interesting and important is that she was she was someone who was not a fan. And this is something that the defense has used on cross to try to discredit many of the people who have taken the stand, that they were fans, that they were groupies, that they knew what they were getting into. But this particular person said that she wasn't a fan, but yet she was exposed to so many of the things that many of the other women were exposed to in terms of being a part all of a sudden of this entourage where she was involved in different sexual acts. The other thing is that she's 19 years old. So this is someone who was 19 when R. Kelly raped her. So we're not necessarily talking about the age that is of issue here, but we're talking about the controlling factors that were these raw rules that we heard were in place that she also succumbed to, even though she was a person of age who might have been able to decipher one way or the other, but she still fell prey to it. So I, this is really strong for the prosecution to show the controlling factors that were in place, allegedly by R. Kelly. Yeah, Kelly's uh, former assistant, too, Suzette Mayweather is her name. She talked about what some might call bizarre rules the singer had for his girlfriends. We know this is central also to the prosecution's case, since they say our Kelly ordered around a team of people moving in concert him as the conductor of this criminal enterprise, the government says. How can the defense refute these claims? Well, you know, it's going to be very difficult to refute, but here's what's going to happen. We get a bird's eye view, first of all, from this woman about what was going on during the past few years, actually pretty recently. I mean, the defense can say that she actually never saw anything sexual, which is what she testified, though she did testify that there was abusive behavior that was involved. But the defense can come back and say, well, didn't you, in fact, take these young women to the malls? Didn't you, in fact, uh, drive one of these young women down to her graduation rehearsal? Weren't there some things that were going on here that were not that bad? And you actually stayed in there and you didn't think they were that bad, right? Because you actually stayed. So this is what the defense can say. However, this was an important witness because we got kind of the day by day goings on of what was, <laughs> of what was happening. For example, one of the things that these young women had to do was go, when they got into an elevator, they had to face the wall. Or when they were at a game, they could only cheer for R. Kelly. They couldn't cheer for any of the other men. But just to imagine how the jury is taking this in, that many of the women um, had to go into an elevator and they couldn't face anybody, couldn't look anybody in the eye. How bizarre and how controlling is that? Well, that's something for the, the jury to decide. But I would say that on, on face value, it is very bizarre. It is very controlling that you would have that much power and control that someone would get inside of an elevator and not look at anybody, just face the elevator walls.
Yeah, it's cult-like behavior. I've used that word before. Um, there was also this testimony, Candace, about the employees being, I mean, consequences, docked pay for not yes. following Rob's rules. Um, what's the prosecution strategy uh, there, I guess, talking about him as the head of this thing, as a boss? So listen, this case right now could go either way. It's not something that the prosecution just already has in the bag. What they're doing is they are building. They're laying out these Rob's rules to say, listen, this is someone who knew that he was in charge and that his power trickled down to everybody in this alleged enterprise. That if you didn't do what he said, you would be assaulted. You could be raped. You could be docked pay. You would have to write blackmail letters, including this employee who said that she had to write a letter talking about her guilt and, and whatever she did that he did not like. So what we have is a prosecution building, building, building. We're going to hear from other people who will talk about this enterprise and will talk about his power. That is what is going to be central to this case. The power, the power in control 19, whether you were 15, control 19, whether you were 15, that these were Rob's rules. Rob was in control. Rob explained and told everybody what to do and everybody followed suit. Otherwise, there would be consequences. And that's why the building of these witnesses is very important for the witnesses. Mm -hmm. For the prosecution. Yeah, just the right now I get uh, we get it, Candace. Um, but just the we've heard about the physical assaults, those uh, allegations, but just the mind control here. Um, yes. Again, him uh, allegedly as the conductor with all of these these people, some of them grown. Um, who had been in the world getting full life experience. It is uh, fascinating in the worst way. Justice correspondent Candace Kelly, thank you. All right, so that was from uh, today, uh, Start Your Day, um, Black News Channel, uh, Candace Kelly and uh, Sherry. Okay, so... Um, I want to go to, uh, let's go back to this article here from, uh, I'm going to go back to this article here from New York Times. New York Times has had uh, really good reporting on this case. So the minister, uh, his name is Nathan Edmond, um, who performed the marriage ceremony in 1994 for R. Kelly and Leah testify day. Uh, Nathan Edmond had never heard of the R&B singers who, what, uh, who he was asked to marry in 1994. Uh, R. Kelly and Aaliyah, he had never heard of them in 94. Uh, the marriage of R. Kelly and Aaliyah has been central to the case against R. Kelly. Now, the pair are married. Uh, in 1994, as I said, when R. Kelly was 27 and she was 15, uh, she was underage. R. Kelly had come to believe that R. Kelly, I mean, that Aaliyah, who died in 2001, might have been pregnant with his child. Other witnesses have testified. Now, Nathan Edmond said he was presented with a confidentiality agreement by one of R. Kelly's male associates when he arrived at the Chicago area hotel when the wedding occurred. He said, quote, I kind of chuckled if it was supposed to be a confidentiality agreement. It should have been a lot more airtight than that, end quote, he said. Now, Nathan Edmond 
said the man instead asked if he would give his word that he would not discuss the wedding. He said he agreed and had not spoken publicly about it until Wednesday, September 1st, because I never heard of him before this. Okay. Now, at the ceremony, R. Kelly and Aaliyah emerged from uh, another room in matching jogging suits and exchanged wedding vows. And in 10 minutes or less, the proceedings were over. Uh, Nathan Evan testified. Uh, he said he was offered 25, 25 or $50 for his services. But he added, he quote, was, do, was just doing it as a favor, end quote, for a friend and said he found the entire situation odd. Yeah, more getting married in jogging suits, you know. Um, is, uh, <laughs> You know, <laughs> I thought I, I thought they were gonna say she had Mickey Mouse ears on or something like that. But you know, uh, quote: "I didn't think it was anybody special." He said, "I didn't understand it at all." And then we talked about uh, uh, Faith, who testified. Uh, she's the sixth accuser to take the witness stand. She testified on Tuesday and Wednesday, Tuesday, August 31st and Wednesday, uh, September 1st uh, as well. Uh, Faith, the fifth accuser to take the stand against R. Kelly told jurors on Wednesday that shortly after her final sexual encounter with R. Kelly in 2018, she began to develop cold system symptoms, cold symptoms, and that later her mouth had bumps everywhere. Her mouth had bumps everywhere. She testified that she went to urgent care and later to her OBGYN who diagnosed her with type one herpes. She said, I was in shock, she said. Now, Faith told jurors that she reached out to R. Kelly several times, but that he never responded. She said, quote, I really just wanted him to maybe give me answers or just acknowledge that he did it. Faith testified. She said, I knew it was him. She said she contacted a lawyer in her home state of Texas and later received, later received a call from R. Kelly after she had texted him repeatedly. Faith testified that she asked him why he did not disclose that he had the disease, herpes. She said, quote, he said, I don't know what we're talking about but if i did know what you're talking about we're not going to talk about it over the phone she recalled now faith be became the third woman to testify that she contracted herpes after r kelly exposed uh, uh them to the disease without notifying them that he had been infected the first accuser to speak at his trial geronda pace told jurors that she too contracted the disease from him around 2009 and that she was not warned beforehand. Another woman, uh, another woman says she contracted the disease during her sexual encounters with R. Kelly and that before she was treated, the pain was so intense she struggled to walk at times. She said the pain was so intense she struggled to walk at times. 
Now, as we talked about last week, one of R. Kelly's longtime doctors, Chris McGrath, testified early in the trial that R. Kelly was being treated for uh, the incurable, incurable disease herpes by 2007. He was being treated for herpes by 2007 and the, that he had instructed R. Kelly to notify any sexual partners that he had herpes. All right. Now, Faith is now 24 years old. She first met R. Kelly at a concert in San Antonio, Texas in 2017. She received a pass to go backstage. The singer gave, his, gave her his phone number. And then uh, the two began a month long, a month's long sexual relationship. During the uh, during their interactions. Just one second here. Okay. So during their interactions, Faith said R. Kelly often pressured her to have sex and recorded their encounters. But because she was an adult at the time, her involvement in R. Kelly's case centers on the herpes diagnosis. Now, R. Kelly's defense team did not address the herpes accusations in his cross-examination of Faith, but instead focused on casting Faith's uh, interactions with the singer as consensual. They instead focused on casting Faith's interactions with R. Kelly as consensual. Uh, Devereaux Canick, one of R. Kelly's four uh, defense attorneys, said, you made a choice. Uh, Devereaux Canick, yeah, said, you made a choice. He said that Faith had communicated with R. Kelly for months and made repeated trips to see him, adding, quote, you participated of your own will, end quote. Now, Faith told jurors she sometimes had sex with the singer despite not wanting to. In one instance, Faith says she entered a room with R. Kelly and noticed a gun on an ottoman there, okay, on like a footstool, uh, on an ottoman there. She told jurors she was, quote unquote, intimidated and that the singer grabbed her neck and forced her to perform a sex act on him. Throughout the trial, now she said there was a, there was a gun near him. Okay. Throughout the trial, R. Kelly's facial expressions have been hidden by a mask, but the singer appeared more animated, shaking his head and rubbing his forehead, while Faith described uh, a failed sexual encounter with the singer in which she clenched her body to avoid penetrative sex. He reacted similarly as Faith recalled that her that he later masturbated to a video he had made of different women, some of whom he had told her he was right, quote unquote, raising. All right. So read the rest of this. Uh, check out this. We'll have, we'll have more coverage of uh, uh, this crazy trial. A uh, minister who married R. Kelly and Aaliyah describes illegal wedding. This is from the New York Times, September 1st, uh, 21. It's a, uh, a crazy trial. 
the black news channel caught up with the father of faith today and they spoke to him um we're gonna go to that clip here uh faith faith testified today against r kelly and her father who is a pastor um Black News Channel correspondent uh, Astrid uh, uh, Martinez caught up with him today outside of the courthouse. Uh, we're going to go to this interview here. Okay, let me cue this up for a second. All right, let's go to this. It was very. I didn't expect. I didn't expect uh, to hear from the father of uh, Faith. But let's go to this. Take a listen. There are times when I want you to take a look, go through its <clears throat> father. He spoke to us about how his daughter is feeling the trauma she has to go through, <clears throat> reliving the moment she shared with Kelly on the witness stand. I want you to take a listen. There are times when you hear testimony and as a as a dad, you know, uh, concerning another man uh, taking advantage of your daughter. You feel a funny kind of way, you know, anger and upset at the defendant, you know. And Charles, I know one time during the testimony, the prosecution was talking about that R. Kelly um, sat and talked to her, your daughter and said, you know, me and your father are, we, we yeah, share something. Yeah, well, uh, that, that part, how did that, you know, how did that come across to you? He was saying that you guys shared something in common. Yeah, I understood what he meant from a spiritual uh, point of view, being a pastor. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain gifts that God gives us to, to, to have discernment mm -hmm. and to be able to see into things and things be revealed in the spirit. So he was kind of using that in a manipulative way uh, to say that he had that same ability that was God given, which is wasn't the case. So that, that really disturbed me. In reality, you know, I, I do try to uh, put myself in that man's position, knowing that there's people that love him and that he had parents, well, his mother's deceased, but I'm, I'm sure he has family. And so I try to look at it from their side too, you know, and if he was my child, you know, what would I want? So, what would you want? well, if he was my child, you know, I would want mercy. I would want forgiveness, you know, but that would be, depend upon him acknowledging that he's actually done something. Faith is not healed. Uh, I don't know that faith will ever be healed, you know, because this is going to be attachment with her for the rest of her life. Just the, the, the celebrity of this man, she will always be attached some kind of way. But I just hope uh, that my daughter will be able to make adjustments and learn to live with whatever attachment she has to live with and go on with her life. But uh, emotionally, uh, there's some work to be done with faith. She has her, she has her ups and downs. Okay. So that is uh, that was from today outside the courthouse. Okay, the father of uh, faith, uh, Black News Channel, caught up with him. All right. Okay, and if you if you have problems uh, hearing the show, refresh your screen. Also. Okay, be sure to um, register for the new 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays. 
uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. We uh, look at a little more than 100 years of history after the Civil War ends. We look at the end of the Civil War uh, in the chattel slavery, the 13th Amendment, Juneteenth, uh, Reconstruction Era, 1865 to 1877, Jim Crow Era, uh, World War I, World War II, uh, Civil Rights Movement, Black, Black Power Movement, and uh, and also the Great Migration, 1915 to 1970. And we look at these periods of history uh, to see what happened to us after slavery ended. What happened to us after the Civil War? What were the laws and policies put in place to help put us in the predicament we're in right now? What were our successes? What were our triumphs as well? Okay, so this is a 10-week online course. We have a new session starting up Saturday, September 4th. It's going to be uh, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch them over and over again. Okay, so you can watch them anytime. And even after the 10 week online course is over with, you can still go back and watch the entire course. You can watch from around the world. I do a pop. We have a PowerPoint presentation. We do have uh, book references, articles, video clips, everything. Okay. So each class we go through and analyze an approximately 10-year period of history. So visit visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, right on the homepage, uh, click on, uh, it's right on the homepage of our website. Click on register here, takes you to the next page, click on enroll. As soon as you uh, register, you can start watching the content. There's also bonus uh, content. You're going to get the uh, lecture I did uh, February 16th, uh, sorry, uh, June 16th, 2021, dealing with the real history of uh, Juneteenth. It's uh, about a two and a half hour uh, lecture. So you get that and we have some other bonus content uh, also. Okay, so it's a fantastic class from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So you can ask questions during the class also. Uh, we have a live text chat. Now you can see me, I can't see you. So if you're worried about uh, be seeing you, something like that. You know, you don't have to uh, worry about getting dressed up for class, anything like that. Okay, I can't see you. All right, and then the other class that I teach is uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This is also a 10 week online course. We do with thousands of years of history and what led it to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Um, so we have a new session of this starting up. Uh, as well, this is going to be on Sundays, uh, Sundays, 12 noon to 2 p.m., okay? And it's the same format uh, of the class uh, also. All right, so you can register for those at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and we just posted a link here as well. It's right on the homepage of the website. And all my DVD lectures and digital downloads are at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we have um, this 15-DVD bundle pack, Um the uh, Michael M. Hotel uh, Black History Month uh, 15 DVD bundle pack, which includes 15 of my lectures, uh, some of my lectures in the past uh, two or three years. Okay, and that's on sale $100 uh, right now. That's at uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And we also have digital downloads uh, of my presentations at our website also. All right. Look, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network, we focus on uh, educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct for own behavior. 
Um, you can support the African History Network as well. Uh, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. So this is our uh, official Cash App account, dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W. That's our Cash App tag. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. Uh, on our Cash App account, it says Michael, and it shows my picture there. All right, so uh, you can support us through Cash App or PayPal. And um, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. We're here six days a week, uh, Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight, and Saturdays, uh, and, I'm sorry, and Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, so thanks for tuning in today. Uh, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating and empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's Christian wrong behavior. How you doing, Fly Girl? All right, thanks, Fly Girl. She said, thank you for your research and information. You are appreciated. Uh, remember, right now it's Christian wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes. Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our story, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that will satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services, we are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung,
PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustler Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. 